are now tuned in to the St. Clair Speak Show. All right, you ready? I'm ready. All right, good. This is good behind-the-scenes content. What's going on, guys? It's your hobby, David. St. Clair Speaks. You are now tuned in to the St. Clair Speak Show. You are now tuned in to the St. Clair Speak Show. What's going on, guys? I'm your host, Yahavi St. Clair, guys. Welcome back to the St. Clair Speak Show podcast. Now, guys, today's guest is a very special guest. I am sitting with Alex Machuca. Now, guys, the, the real inspiration behind this is if you guys have been following me, you know I breathe sales. So to talk sales in depth, the science and the art of sales and what's got Alex to this point and almost selling his business to Gary Vaynerchuk. Guys, this episode of the St. Clair Speak Show podcast is one you should tune in for. It's that time. Alex, so um, Alex, again, I want to welcome you I want to welcome you on the St. Clair Speak Show podcast. It is a pleasure to have you. Um, for, for those, of course, you know, now tuning in, new listeners, uh, those who are not familiar with what you do, tell us a little bit more about yourself and your brand and your business. Yeah. Uh, so my name is Alex Machuca. I'm uh, based in Scottsdale, Arizona. Um, I own a digital marketing company called Lingcrest Media. Uh, we specialize in helping mortgage brokers double their volume per month. So mortgage, helping mortgage brokers in this time in the pandemic, one of the things I, I want to dive into this right away, I was in real estate for a couple months uh-huh. and with the pandemic coming, are you seeing uh, as far as like a culture shift in your business? Are you guys, you know, like going in the direction of like, hey, like, oh, wow, like th- some companies are having a little bit more upside because of the pandemic. Yeah, um, I would say that that's definitely the case, right? Um, a lot of, uh, there, there's a refinance boom that's going on right now um, to where mortgage brokers are, are scrambling to find refinance leads uh, because it's, it's, there's a lot of, I guess, untapped fruit out there um, that they can capitalize on monetarily. So, you know, when we're running leads, we're running refinance leads and we're running homebuyer leads um, and, and those in together um, really just create a perfect formula for that person to scale their business um, accordingly. Now, you know, we are much different than any lead generation company out there right now. Um, you know, when, when lead genera- generation companies first started, and, and it's still happening today, they would just sell a name and a phone number, give it to the broker and tell that broker, good luck, right? Um, what we do is much different. We actually take it a step further. So we actually pursue the lead for the broker, right? And this is kind of where sales ability uh, uh, comes into play. You know, I've been hired to uh, write sales pitches for various companies, different sales systems, uh, put into play systems and processes that help people get closer to the sales. So, you know, when I first started this mortgage uh, lead company, and we always want to niche down, right? Um, we want to be very, very good at one thing. Um, so, so when I was deciding to uh, start this digital marketing company, you know, we could help a whole range of people uh, based on the uh, digital marketing skills that I have, but it was important to just niche down to one specific person so that we could scale really, really fast. So, you know, if we're talking about mortgage brokers and, and helping them succeed, a huge part of their job is sales, right? So uh, the problem is when you give a, um, a mortgage broker a lead, He's got a million other tasks that he has to do, right? His job, the hardest part of his job is cold calling. So um, how do we eliminate that? How do we make his job easier, right? Because your most valuable asset is your time. 
and then it's your money, right? Not the other way around. So what we did was instead of just selling, doing what most lead gen companies do and just selling them a name and a phone number and telling them good luck, we actually have an outsourced call center that will call the leads for them. They will dial on, the, on their lead list every day, calling every single leads that come in for the mortgage broker. So as a result, the mortgage broker is only speaking to people who actually want to speak to him um, and, and who are, are a set appointment. So the dynamic of the phone call is much different from when they just had to phone call a number and say, hey, this is Ted. You know, the reason I'm calling is A, B, C, D, right? Then it's a sales call. Um, but when we're calling up and setting an appointment in advance, we're eliminating all of that extra work, all of those failed opportunities that he's probably gone through dialing hundreds of numbers and just cutting those into the important conversations that he needs to have with serious buyers, people who are willing to have a serious conversation about buying or, or refinancing a home. I was recording uh, some webinar content today, right? And I'm talking about lead generating. One of the struggles that I, that, and this is a great talking point, because one of the struggles that I faced this year, well, I got into real estate and obviously there's a lot of information. So I'm reaching out to these homeowners regarding their properties. And I'm reaching out to hundreds of pre-foreclosure properties and technology has like skyrocketed around me, right? There's ringless voicemail, there's automated emails that you could do, so many different outreach. And I was looking at it from the point of, okay, one call, two, and I wasn't getting anywhere. So when you say that the time and the money and lead generating, how does one lead generate the, the right way? When is enough enough saying like, okay, this is not working for me as far as lead genning. How can I, you know, you know, take this business and, and, and apply it and really elevate my lead generation? So, you know, anybody could generate leads, right? Um, anybody could generate leads on Facebook. We generate our leads on, on Facebook. I think what people don't realize is generating the lead is the easiest part of it, right? Um, so uh, when I, you know, people ask me all the time, what, what makes a quality lead? Um, and, and what makes a quality lead is eliminating every single avenue that makes it a bad lead. So for example, um, there are typically four reasons why mortgage brokers have had a bad experience with lead gen. One, bad numbers. The leads don't uh, have valid numbers and they're wasting their time dialing dead leads. Two, uh, bad credit. The, 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 the leads aren't eligible for the programs that that mortgage broker's company has. Uh, three is uh, exclusivity. Um, if they buy leads from Zillow and Lending Tree, Zillow and Lending Tree will sell those same leads to five other people, and then you have to compete for the business. And then the commitment level of those leads, meaning you call the lead and they don't remember filling out any form, they don't remember opting into anything that would give you a reason to call them. So their attitude is, why are you calling me, right? So how do you make a good lead? You make a good lead by eliminating every single avenue that can possibly make it a bad lead, right? So you know, uh, when we talk about exclusivity, when we're generating these leads, we're doing it specifically for that mortgage broker. We're not sharing his leads with five other brokers. That lead is his. Um, when we talk about commitment level, we drive our leads to a 12 page comprehensive survey where we extract information from them that would be pertinent to the broker, their credit score, their annual household income, all that good stuff, right? The reason we do that is we make them jump through hurdles to get to the broker because they're always going to remember, right? They're always going to remember taking a 12 page survey as opposed to just filling out their name and phone number in some stupid ad that they saw over the weekend. Right? So, um, you know, we really try and, and, and get them to uh, go through a process and jump through hurdles so that when the broker does speak to them, they know exactly why the broker is calling, which makes the call easier for the broker. 
Um, I think what's, what's more important so than generating the lead as well is, listen, pe people, it, it's crazy to me because people don't follow this general rule of thumb. And I know everybody's heard this before. The sale is in the follow-up, right? So when you have, when you have a lead, um, it, it's important to follow up, with, follow up with a lead. And what I found is a lot of my mortgage brokers at the beginning of my tenor were not following up with the leads. They were lazy. They were busy, right? So what we said is, hey, we'll just do that for you. We'll take that off your hands. We'll follow up with every single lead. So having a good automated follow-up system, one of the ones that I highly recommend uh, just for your viewers, especially ones who are aspiring to be a digital marketer in any sense, um, I would look into Go High Level. Go High Level is a, a software that uh, reaches out to people via uh, email, voicemail, uh, text message, uh, and uh, it's, a, it's a pretty uh, uh, robust system that will completely change the game uh, for digital marketers, and that's something that we're leveraging in our company. That's one thing I've learned, and you know, someone shared the same exact quote, the money is in a follow-up, right, in real estate, and not even just in real estate, in all sales, right, the money is in follow-up. I was a personal trainer for seven years, so if I gave someone a free assessment, you know, I would have to follow up with them within two days to figure out if they really like the session, if they want to continue training with me. If you don't take that extra step, you never know if they want to go that extra mile. So, you know, again, definitely, you know, the money's in a follow up and, you know, you're going to experience this too when, you know, you just make that one initiative to make a sale and you don't follow up. Then you're going to be stuck with the regret. Like, Damn, did I do enough? And that's heavy. That's heavy. So, you know, we're, we're talking technology. You know, you, you just brought up um, higher level. And you're talking about automation, lead generating, and how this creates business. For me, and I'm going to share this with you, I'm sure you experienced this. But, you know, technology, of course, in some ways has been a blessing and a curse. But you've also found ways to fill in your gaps as far as just business model needs through technology. So, uh, what are you seeing as far as just the supply and demand in what you do in your service? I mean, right now there's really high demand for it. Um, you know, we, we scale to 30 K per month, um, in about one month. Uh, so, you know, there, there's a lot of it. I think right now my company is at the forefront of automation when it comes to lead generation. Um, right now, a lot of lead generation companies are, are just, just outdated. They, they just sell leads and tell the broker, good luck. Um, and you know, nowadays that's not enough. So I think we are kind of, uh, setting the standard or, or raising the standard, uh, for lead generation companies everywhere. And I think a lot of them are going to be following suit here very shortly. I want to talk to you. I want to dive more into, you know, like the, the art of sales, you know, I was reading up a little bit more about, you know, you come from New Jersey. Um, so I want to know, like, what sparked what sparked sales for you? With me, it started from candy and comedy tickets. But what what got you to this point? Um, you know, when I was a kid, my first job was a, a call center job, and I would call um, I would call uh, for first responders um, and convince people to donate money. Right. So I wasn't even selling anything. I was just getting them to donate money. So I, I started out, I guess, in a pretty tough you know, a tough, tough, tough thing to do. It's hard to kind of get, Hey, don't, I, I, I'm not going to give you any, any real benefit, but like, if you want to donate to first responders, like here it is. And I, I was pretty good at that. Um, and, uh, you know, every single job that I've had ever since I was 16 years old, um, was a sales job. I, I think what helped me after that, um, was, uh, I did door to door sales. Uh, so after door to door sales, 
sales on the phone became very, very easy for me, right? Because uh, door-to-door sales are a little bit harder than, than sales on the phone, right? So um, sales on the phone was just like, oh, this is a, this is a, a breeze, you know? Um, I worked for a company called uh, GoDaddy. Obviously, you know, everybody knows that company. I was number seven in the world in sales globally uh, for that company. And I've always had uh, an entrepreneurial spirit. My father owned his own company. Um, so I always, you know, originally thought I was going to uh, just take over his company. Um, but um, he actually, uh, you know, when the uh, recession hit um, back, back after September 11th, you know, his company went under. We lost um, our house. Um, we ended up living in a family friend's basement for a year. And, you know, I grew up very, very spoiled. Um, I had, you know, two limos when I was a kid. My dad owned a limo company as well. He owned a few companies, but I was very, very spoiled all the way up to the age of 16. So when that was taken away from me and we went from living in this huge house to living in my friend's basement and me not being able to get, you know, uh, uh, everything that I was used to. And I go from, you know, just having a, a housekeeper to living in a basement, eating Elio's pizza every day. Uh, cause we couldn't afford, uh, you know, to, to, to have, uh, you know, these big meals that we used to have. Um, I was, it was a really, really painful time in my life. And it was painful because I was selfish. Um, you know, you're a 16 year old kid. Oh, what do you care about girls, you know, being able to go to the mall, all that stuff. And that's really all I cared about. So, you know, when, when we got all of that taken away from me as a spoiled kid, it really, really pained me. And I held on to it for a long time. I, I held on to it until uh, I was about 24 years old. And I was just mad at the world, kind of bitter, pissed off. Everything is everybody else's fault um, until uh, uh, one day my dad, you know, even though he, he had, you know, little money, he was helping me pay my rent. And one day he just goes, hey, get your shit together, bud. I'm not, I'm done. I'm done. And he never paid it again. And uh, I went out and got my first job. And, uh, you know, from there, a lot of shit happened, but we'll, I'm sure we'll get into that. <laughs> Tell us a little bit more, um, you know, about, you know, uh, the transition from, you know, obviously coming up as, you know, a solo entrepreneur, entrepreneur. Now, you know, you, uh, again, reading this article, you know, you were almost at a point where you're selling your company to Gary Vaynerchuk. Can you yeah. tell us what, what got you to that point? How do you go from, you know, uh, growing up spoiled to the point of 16, you had two limos, now you're here. Like, how, like, how do you go from Zoom to Zoom? How did that happen? Uh, well, just hunger, man. Um, you know, I, I always was like, man, I never want to be in that position again. And my old, my whole goal, you know, in life is like, Hey, I want to get to a position where I can help my family out. And I set out to do that. And, uh, I went out and, and I got a few jobs. I, I started working for this guy named Tim Fargo and I learned a ton. He always used to tell me, you know, when you work for me, it's like getting your Harvard MBA. He went to Harvard. So he was a big, uh, big Harvard guy and, uh, learned a lot there, left that company. Uh, him and I kind of like had a disagreement. We parted ways, started working for this guy named Richard Brock. Richard Brock had the number one performing stock back in uh, 2004. Uh, he's a, a, a super successful entrepreneur, old man. So I started working for him. So the one thing that I made to do throughout my journey is work for people who I wanted to be like, right? Um, work for people who I wanted to be like. So my first ever entrepreneurial um, startup was my uh, recruiting business. I started a staffing company. Okay. Um, we did okay. We did about 80,000 in the first year. Um, 
And, uh, you know, after basically what happened was I went to Australia, I came back from Australia and my friend had this pop-up exhibit. Now, are you, are you familiar with the museum of ice cream? Right. So he did something like that, but it was in Scottsdale and it was a huge success. We, they think they, they were, they did like 350, $400,000. Right. So they had a new concept and it was called Tacotopia and they were looking for investors for that. So they came to me and asked me if I wanted to invest. And I said, you know, Hey, I'm not, I'm not going to give you $250,000 um, for 25% equity, which was their deal. And they said, well, you know, I know you have a big network. If you find somebody who is willing to give us 250,000, we'll give them 25% equity and we'll give you 10% equity. So I was like, Oh, that sounds like a pretty sweet deal. I'll, I'll see, you know, what I can do. So I, I spoke to one of my friends who I knew had, had a good amount of money and he was originally going to invest and then he got cold feet. So I was so excited about this new opportunity and I got it kind of torn away from me because he didn't invest. So I'm like, shit, but I really, really believe in this. I want equity in this company. Um, so, you know, um, I didn't give up on it. And um, <clears throat> what I did was I realized that, you know, I, the museum of ice cream is all for Instagram, right? So you know, if, if that's for all for Instagram, then that makes it a great marketing opportunity for brands, right? Because brands market at festivals, but this is a brick and mortar and this is not a three-day thing. And so it's a, it's, it's a permanent thing, right? It's, it's, it's every, uh, I think it's about three months long until they move to the other state. So what I noticed is, listen, all of these millennials are walking into these buildings and taking pictures. How cool would it be to put your brand in these pictures? You'll be putting a viral explosion on Instagram right? Because everybody is coming here with the sole purpose of taking pictures. That means everybody who walks through our doors is now a brand ambassador for you and your company, right? So I, I noticed that it was a great and unique marketing opportunity. And I know companies are advertising at festivals. And I thought, well, this is way better than a festival because we have a captive audience. They can't escape. They're in our building for an hour. And um, it's not a three-day thing. You know, it goes on for three months. Um, and it has a social media component. So it was all the right factors um, and a great branding opportunity. So right after I was devastated that my friend wouldn't invest, I said, you know, I, let me just try a couple of things and, and see what happens. So I cold called uh, Pepsi and, uh, and I cold called Cholula hot sauce because I thought they were great fit for what we do. It was called Tacotopia. So it was a pop-up museum dedicated to taco food, right? Um, had a bunch of great, uh, like we had a mechanical taco, for example, that you could like ride, right? So it's kind of like a, an entertainment thing. And I cold called both of them. And in three calls each, both of them, I got them to collectively give me $250,000 in sponsorship money for them to sponsor the event, which then financed the opportunity. And I was able to keep the 25% equity for myself, as opposed to the 10% equity that I was originally uh, promised. You slide. Oh man, I like that. <laughs> I'm like, like I just like the second you said that, you seen the grin on my face. I'm like, wow. So how? All right, let's talk about. Let, let's rewind for a second. I I need to dissect this. I'm looking at this from the salesman perspective. Sure. I want to talk about cold calls. How 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 did you get to the point? Where do you get the confidence? to cold call Pepsi and, and, and make offers like this over the phone? Uh, well, you know, the first thing that I did was, um, listen, you always talk to the gatekeeper first, right? And you know how the gatekeepers are. They want to protect 
their executives. They, they, they're not just going to let anybody um, get on the phone. So what I did was I called and, uh, and I'm talking about three calls from when I talked to the director, right? So tech, there, there was more when I called the gatekeeper, obviously, because she wouldn't let me talk to the director. So what I said to her finally, I said, Hey, look, I know how it works. Um, but I guarantee you that if you bring this to your head of marketing, she will thank you. You will look good when you bring this to her. And if you don't, I'm just going to call tomorrow and the next day and the next day. So let's, let's cut through the bullshit. You don't want to deal with me for another month. I don't want to deal with you for another month. Just get me to her. And, and, and she did. Um, so, you know, actually, um, when she got to her, I was in Australia. So I had to take the call and, you know, there's different time zones. So I had to take the call at around 3 a.m. in Australia um, in order to, that was my first initial call with their head of marketing. But it was, it was great. You know, I think, uh, it, you know, when you go in there and, and you're speaking to these companies, as long as you feel like you belong and you kind of portray that, you know, um, things are, things are, are, go, are going to just be assumed about you. You don't even have to say it. Right. Um, what was that? I couldn't hear you that first time. God damn. That was inspiring, man. I'm like, yeah, damn. That's inspiring. Cause that, I, like, I'm really, cause I'm, I'm feeling that because Yo, I've been doing sales for God knows, I don't know, like how long, almost half my life. So you know, like breaking down that cold call and, and like you said, like feeling like you belong, like that's spot on, man. Sure. Yeah. And, and you know, that, that pays off um, in more ways than one. Like, you know, the whole thing with Gary, um, you know, I ended up raising, after I raised that $250,000, I ended up raising another 400,000 uh, from, from other, other people, investors, companies. So I raised about over $600,000 for that company. And um, basically what happened is we got a strategic partner in a local marketing company here in Phoenix that was going to take over doing our ads. And, um, you know, the company, you know, the ads weren't hitting right. Like they just weren't uh, working. And, um, you know, I wanted to stay in those ads and my partners uh, were just kind of like, you know, hey, stick to sales. Your job is to raise the money. Don't worry about the digital marketing. Come, I mean, come to, come to know now, you know, my, my company's at $30,000 per month doing digital marketing. Like, you know, I know much more than them, but you know, I, I was new in the company. So I respected them and, you know, let them run it the way that they wanted it to be run. I would have done things much differently and I'm sure, you know, the results would have been, would have been different, but I still did my job. So, you know, when, when, when one marketing company wasn't performing, I called uh, Ryan Harwood. So Ryan Harwood is the CEO of Gallery Media Group, and he's best friends with Gary Vee. So um, the way it works is there's VaynerX, the parent company, and then under it is Gallery Media, which is the agency side, and Vayner Media. Uh, I'm sorry, Gallery Media, which is the media side, and Vayner uh, Media, which is the agency side. So when I spoke to Ryan, I said, you know, hey, listen, like this is what's happening in my company. Um, I think it's a great opportunity for you guys. And Ryan goes, yeah, Gary was talking about getting into the experiential space, which is what we're in the experiential space, experiential marketing, right? We want to make an experience for people. So, um, you know, he was like, you know, uh, it, why don't we, why don't we run a test and we'll run ads for you to see if it works. And if it works, you know, then obviously we can talk about an equity deal. Um, so I was super excited because I'm the type of guy I, I've been watching Gary V videos forever. Um, and, uh, you know, although, you know, the pandemic hit and it didn't work out, 
the fact that I called Ryan, now Ryan, Ryan knows who I am, right? So since then, I've actually hooked Ryan up with um, a couple people that I thought uh, could be mutually beneficial relationships. Um, and that's something that I do all the time. I, I network and I learn how to monetize my network, which I think is really important. What a lot of people don't understand is um, they don't know how to outsource value. So for example, if I have somebody who needs marketing services and I don't know how to do those marketing services, that does not mean that I cannot help that person. What I do and what I've made a career off of is I will go find that person, right? So if some if person A needs marketing services, I'll go find somebody who does that marketing. Person A will pay me for finding that person and person B will find me for finding him business. So I'm double dipping and, and monetizing that way as well. I love that perspective, Alex. I freaking love that. I, like you, you're a freaking hustler, man. I freaking, I admire that. Right. But you, you see that. opportunity, right? So it's, it's the same thing as far as just digital marketing. I'm learning with this podcast in itself, right? It's digital marketing. It's another hack marketing strategy. The amount of guests that I've had recently, right? I interviewed uh, Michael Zuber, um, real estate investor. He has a million dollar portfolio, his book, One Rental at a Time. We was talking about his book and we were talking about real estate investing. Then I was talking to other authors. Now I'm talking to you and this is something I definitely want to just jump back to, you know, you just talked about network marketing, right. And how underpriced, you know, the network marketing is. Can you shed a little bit more light on that? Yeah. So there's two different types of network marketing, right? There's the network marketing, like the multi-level marketing, like the Alex Morton's, you know, who that is. I went to college with, uh, I went to college with Alex Morton. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so, so there's the network marketing that way. And then, you know, the kind of network marketing that you and I are talking about, well, you know, when we talk about monetizing networks, um, and, and I think it's really important to understand that you do, you do not need to uh, have the skill set to help that person. You can simply outsource the value, right? So you can outsource somebody, you could outsource value. Like I can bring value to somebody by just finding it, right? So right. for example, uh, do you know who Josh Snow is? No. So Josh Snow, I'm sure uh, uh, you, you've seen his ad. So um, Josh Snow is the owner of Snow Teeth Whitening. They have a teeth whitening service. You, you put like a mouth guard in your mouth and like it lights up. Uh, Chuck Liddell advertised it, Floyd Mayweather, Rob Gronkowski. So all these guys, right? So, so Josh, he's worth $100 million, okay? He lives in my town, but I, I never met him. So I hit him up on Instagram once because I was recently in Las Vegas with uh, Conor McGregor's manager, Audi Attar. Audi Attar is one of the most prolific sports agents in the world. He, he represents Manny Pacquiao, Conor McGregor. He, a lot of people will credit the rise of Conor McGregor, McGregor to Audi. So I was in Las Vegas with Audi just by chance, a um, couple mutual friends, and, and we got along great. He asked, me if, he asked me for my phone number, and we kept in touch after that. So I see Josh Snow. This guy's worth $100 million. He's also in Scottsdale, which is close to me, and we have mutual friends. So um, what I realized is Josh is leveraging a ton of athletes uh, for his brand. And I know he's paying these athletes and I know that he's probably using a talent agency to pay these athletes. So he's getting a cut, right? He's getting a, uh, or their talent agencies are getting a cut every time he wants to advertise. So I hit him up and I said, Hey, listen, I see that you are advertising for a bunch of different athletes. 
Um, I know Audi Attar. He is the CEO of Paradigm Sports Management Company. He has a whole portfolio of athletes. Why don't we cut out the middleman? This way, you're not using a talent agency. You can go straight to the source and get your advertising costs at price. So for Josh, he's saving money on advertising because he doesn't have to go through a talent agency anymore. He's going right to the source. And then for Audi, it's another avenue for him to feed his athletes and put dinner on the table for them, right? Uh, it's another way to make them money. So, you know, being able to recognize um, opportunities and you're just putting people together, right? This guy has a service. This guy has a service. Those services complement each other well. Let's put you guys together. You guys can break me off a piece of whatever you think is fair. And, um, you know, and then at that point, you're just building relationships. I recently hooked Josh Snow up with Ryan Harwood as well. So you can recycle those relationships as well, right? And I'm sure I'll put Audi in touch with, with Ryan. Yo, just don't forget to throw your Javi Sinclair in the mix, man. Throw me in there, yeah, yeah. right? So it's <laughs> like, that's, that's cool because this is exactly what you're talking about. You're talking about this level of marketing, right? So it's all about, you know, obviously, you know, you make these connections, you get these referrals. Now you have multiple different business affiliates all over the countries, all over the states. And it's good because you're filling in the blanks. Um, and I can put them in my network, right? Yep. I can put them in my network. Like after this call, right? I would hope that you put me in your network. Absolutely. Meaning, meaning what I, what I do, and this is something called, you know, who Grant Cardone is, right? So uh, yeah. So, so Grant Cardone, uh, the guy who did Grant Cardone's marketing, he brought him from 40,000 a month to 1.4 million a month. His name is Jeremy Haynes. He's a mentor of mine, right? He talks about something called authority hijacking. Now, if you look at any of my press, who's mentioned in there? Audi Attar, Josh Snow, Ryan Harwood, Fam Mirza, Casey Adams, Dr. George Pratt. The reason I put those people in my press is to demonstrate authority and credibility because obviously if these people are willing to do business or network with me, then obviously that gives me a certain amount of credibility that I could then leverage to get new business. That's, that's, it's, it's the same thing like me giving you this interview, right? Like us doing this interview. This gives me tons of leverage, right? So can you imagine what that does for me? But from the, from the listeners listening to this right now, what Alex is pretty much saying is this. Find opportunity in opportunity. Mm -hmm. That's right. And, and, and always say yes, right? So your life, right? When I look at your, your life, it's almost like a timeline, right? And uh, there, there's opportunity that runs to, uh, uh, to the side of you. And then there's, uh, there, there, there's opportunity. And then there's your ability to, to, to fulfill that opportunity or to take advantage of that opportunity, right? The key to making sure that you are getting the most out of your life and out of success is to say yes to every opportunity and then figure it out later right? Even if I can't do something and somebody asks me to do it, I'll always say yes if I look at it as an opportunity because I simply know that I can just go find out how to do it and figure it out or I can outsource it to somebody else. You know, it's, it's, funny, it's funny you say that because I, I've used that analogy and, and, and it's the littlest things where I said yes to something so I could learn something much larger than what I said yes to. Mm -hmm. that's that that's as deep yeah it's funny you know a lot of my friends they uh they, they'll like be like oh dude like you, you, listen you ask any one of my friends 
if we are in a room and there's Jeff Bezos or, you know, George Clooney, whoever it is, most people are intimidated to go up to them, introduce themselves, figure out a way to do business. The difference between myself and all of my friends who work a nine to five is that I'm willing to do that. If, 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 if you are in a room with me and I see you in that room and I look at you as an opportunity, I 100% am going to go up to you. I'm going to introduce myself and I'm going to not, not in a, in a annoying way. Right. Um, but I will never let an opportunity slip me by. I don't care who it is. I will go up to them and say, Hey, like Mark Wahlberg, how the fuck can I offer any value to Mark Wahlberg? You know what I mean? But I'll go up to him and say hello. So he knows who I am. And then when I get home, I'll start looking up all the shit that Mark Wahlberg's into. Oh, you're, you own a tequila company. Oh, that's great. Listen, my friend Adi over there owns proper whiskey. Maybe you guys could do business together. You get, you get what I'm saying? So there, I'll always, always, always jump on an opportunity every single time. And, and, and you know, I, I might not be able to monetize them all, but all it takes is one. You, all right, so let's talk about this. How do because there are a lot of people, and I've worked with a lot of people who can't get over the fear of being rejected, right? Of like just walking up to someone, having that interaction. How do you break through that? Um, so the way I broke through it is just, just experience, right? Um, I, think, I think, you know, what's the worst that could happen? Like people are so afraid of rejection. It's like, what are you like? It's not like you're going up to a girl in a social setting with like your boys and you're getting rejected. You're calling somebody up on the phone. Who's a stranger who you're never going to speak to again after that call, if they reject you anyway. So what are you so afraid of? You might as well just go balls to the wall. You know, you might as well just be aggressive, be funny, make it, you know what I mean? Like treat it like a prank call. What's going on guys. It's your hobby. David Sinclair speaks. You are now tuned in to the St. Clair Speak Show. Thank you for streaming this episode of the St. Clair Speak Show podcast. Don't forget to visit stclairspeaks.com and hustlehop.com and stay up to date with St. Clair Speak Show updates, upcoming guests, live webinar events, and St. Clair Speak Show trade talk. Visit stclairspeaks.com and hustlehop.com today. You know, it's, it's funny you say that because I was, a, again, fitness coach for seven years we were at a point where they had us lead generating, right? So they would give us different methods. We could either do lead generating with calls. We could, you know, set up a table, talk to, you know, gym members on the floor. With me, with my personality, I have too much personality to hide behind the phone. So I want to be in front of people. I'm like this. I'm handing out aminos and pre-workout. I'm over here and I'm over here. And since I was a fitness coach, I built my entire fitness book off pulling people off the floor. That one-on-one, -on -one, yeah, calls is no problem, but I could give you full throttle, right? Sure. So once I seen how I used, uh, you know, my sales skills from the streets and how I brought that to corporate, then I looked at it and I went to a professional networking setting where I actually met my mentor and, you know, he was doing coaching and consulting. And I really looked at the sales thing and the speaking thing and how everything has its snowball effect and overcoming objections. Obviously, when I, when I hit real estate, I met a different mountain. Right. So 
again, I'm dealing with auction properties, pre-foreclosures. So I'm calling and I'm giving you this energy and people are giving me the complete different energy. No, mother, I'm not selling my house. No. Right. So I'm overcoming this. But like you said, monetize it. Right. So I figured, why not record, keep a camera rolling at all times. And I'm showing people all the no's that I encounter. Right. Because it's it's fueling me up more. So I'm with I'm with you 100 percent on, you know, overcoming objections, monetizing, you know, the opportunities, taking advantage of these opportunities. My analogy is simple, Alex. If you're not the hustler, you're the customer. And that's straight up. Sure. Wow. Profound. <laughs> yeah. You got me fired up, man. I love, I love talking about this, man. I, I really want to hear more because I'm at a point where whenever I hear someone like you or anyone really speak highly of sales, because, and this is one thing I definitely want to talk about, you know, for the last few years, there's this, there's this notion that, you know, sales, oh, you know, I don't, I don't like salespeople. They're too salesy right? There, there's this analogy that we're salesy and we're, we're scumbags and we're bad people, but this is how we make a living, right? So don't try to rain on us, right? So, so tell us a, a little bit more about overcoming that negative dark cloud that people try to put over us as salesmen. Um, I think uh, sales is the most single, the single most important skill um, for entrepreneurs. Um, you know, there's recently a guy, uh, Guy Kawasaki, who was just talking on Brad Lee's podcast. And he said, uh, you know, uh, the most important uh, uh, skill that you can have being an entrepreneur is sales. And they said, uh, and he said to his dad, I guess his rich dad was telling him that. And uh, he said to his rich dad, well, I don't, I don't want to do sales. And then his rich dad said, do you like girls? And he said, yeah. He goes, well, then you better start learning sales. It's, it's, it, it's the same because it, it falls in line with speaking. It all Everything. falls in line with speaking. It, it does. And it's, um, it's something that I've learned uh, as of recently, right? So, you know, my mom always says a good listener is a good speaker. But even with this podcast, I'm, I'm obviously I'm going to share this now. But She's right about I, that. Yeah. So as I'm, as I'm, you know, interviewing you in this podcast, I'm paying attention to everything that you're saying. And I'm like, okay, so he just said, he mentioned Gary Vee here, you know, he talked about this. So I find different talking points to latch onto, right? Same sure. with sales. So if you're talking about, yeah, you know, you and your buddy have a tequila company. Well, I'll probably mention something. Well, yeah, you know, I just gave up drinking, but I'm in the business of drinking, right? So I do skits too. You know, I throw a little personality, I throw a little fun stuff in there. So it's that active listening too from their sales perspective that I've learned where I found some huge success and consistently talking to, to people like you, uh, it, it's really inspiring to hear a real raw success story from sales. Yeah, and, and you know, a lot of people, um, when they get into sales or they try and get better at sales, I feel that, you know, they buy into these courses that are like, oh, listen, this is the like Jordan Belfort system, the straight line persuasion system and all that stuff. And I just get like there. So it's hard to make a system, a sales system out of something that's really not tangible. Like you can't see sales like it's it's a it's an invisible thing. Right. So it's really tough to make a system. And when you try and systemize sales. Well, the most important factor of sales is just being able to have a, a, a fluid conversation and a casual conversation. And a lot of the things that you talk about are free flowing, right? So when you try and systemize sales, what you do is you end up sounding robotic, right? You end up sounding 
um, insincere. You end up sounding ingenuine. Um, and it's because you're trying to focus on like all these things you learn, like the five pillars of success and what to say when this and this. And, and in my opinion, people are systemizing the wrong part of sales. People are trying to systemize the phone part of sales, but what they really need to do is systemize the pre part of sales. Meaning when I do sales for my, for my people and the reason I'm able to close so many mortgage brokers is because what we do is we precondition them before the call. So before the call, that broker has already seen multiple testimonials. He's already seen a one minute explainer video of how our system works, right? We try and sell them before we even speak to them, right? And what that does is it shortens the sales cycle. I have to explain much less about the system itself. And really it's just a Q and A to answer any questions or, or concerns that they have. So what a lot of people don't realize is, you know, especially when running your own business, this isn't necessarily for people who are working in a call center. Um, but if you're running your own business and you're trying to make sales, what you're going to do is, is, is you're going to want to precondition those leads when they come in uh, and, and, and shorten that sales cycle for yourself to make that sale much easier. It's working, working smarter, not harder. Like really filtering you know, definitely filtering and, and filtering the serious, the serious buyers. Right. No, yeah. Definitely separating cold, warm, hot. Um, we waste, I don't want to say we waste a lot of time, but there is a lot of time being wasted when you really don't spend that, that specific, it could take something as small as an hour to really look at your leads, right? Whatever you're looking at for your business model, look at those leads and really ask yourself, is this cold, warm, hot filtering in them? filtering them out and creating a consistent follow-up system. Again, this is stuff that I recently learned with real estate. I was running a mile a minute, right? What's more important, direction or speed? That's one of the first things I've learned, right? And moving a mile a minute wasn't getting me anywhere, right? So I had to really slow down. I got a whiteboard and I just started connecting the dots. And I'm like, okay, this makes sense. This makes sense, right? Five points of contact. You understand that the money isn't a follow-up. So if I'm not establishing any follow-up, no business is being established. So yeah. it's, it's accountability, but there's also emotions into, you know, doing what we do as far as the sales and interacting with people. Because for me, I think about the objections before the objections arise, right? So if there's, there's a saying, what, if there's no mountains, don't create it. But of course, you know, there, there is going to be some friction, right? There's going to be resistance that we experience when, you know, when you're talking to that, you know, that broker or that homeowner, whatever the case may be. Um, preparing for that objection. How do you go about that and, you know, still That's finding ways to provide value? That's a great question. So what we do is we prepare for those objections uh, before, like that thing that I talked about pre-marketing. When we're marketing to these people, we are literally answer like, so you typically have a five or seven objections that you normally get. We literally put the answers to those objections in our ads, right? So, so we try and knock off as many objections as possible before they speak to us. Right. And you're over time, you're going to essentially just come up with answers for these. Right. Um, over time, you're going to hear pretty much, you know, the same types of, of objections. Uh, so, you know, really, really easy ways to, to, to kind of overcome that um, based off of, you know, a lot of people and, and what a lot of people don't know is, um, you know, listen, you can get, a $100,000 education on YouTube. You know, I go, you want, you want to learn, you want to learn how to overturn objections. Go look at Dan Locke, go look at Brad Lee, 
just, just follow them on Instagram and they will literally show you exact situations that, I mean, they've thought of everything, you know, they, they've been doing sales so long and they have people who are writing in saying, how do I overcome this objection? How do I overcome this objection? And they'll tell you how to overcome, you know, a, a, a bunch of them. But really, you know, what I do when I'm trying to overcome an objection, the first thing that I ask when I hear an objection is that's your concern. If I can solve that concern for you, would you, would you be open to doing business with us today? Uh, no, no, no. Well, then there must be another concern that you have. What is that? They tell me that. Okay, so your concern is that it's too much money. If I could solve that problem for you and get the price lowered by 30%, you're addressing would you willing to do business with us today? Yeah. Right? So the first thing you do is just repeat their problem back to them. Ask them, if I can solve that problem for you, is that the only thing holding you back? Right? And you get that confirmation. Then you figure out just how to solve the problem. That's powerful. That's a very, that's a, that's a very powerful thing. Looking at, uh, you know, obviously, you know, the objections, you know, active listening, listening to, you know, what they're saying and addressing the pain points. I think that's, uh, you know, my mentor hit me with this line. He, he said, yeah, Javi, you have to, you have to realize, you have to ask yourself, is your business a vitamin or painkiller, right? So I'd ask myself that, am I really solving problems here, right? Um, where is the supply and demand in what I'm trying to do in my niche? If I am talking to a personal training client, uh, do they want to do personal training because they want to lose weight or, you know, do they want to do this because they're getting prepared for something else or they don't want to do this because of financial or because they don't have a time. In some cases, it's not financial whatsoever. It's not about the money. In some cases, it's time, right? So like you said, you know, we're addressing pain points. We're asking the right questions. Okay. If that's your concern, you know, here's the solution. And if they, you know, continue with more issues, right. So we're going to address these as you know, they go. Yeah. And, 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 you know, when I'm, when I prep my phone calls, um, I'm always, always, always asking questions. Right. And a lot of people get scared to do that because they think that the person on the other end of the line is going to be like, why the hell are you asking me so many questions? Like, just tell me what the program is. Tell me what you're selling me, you know, and you have to be disciplined in that. Um, what I do um, to stop that from happening to stop people from getting pissed off is I just set the proper expectations. I'll say, Hey, listen, over the course of this call, I'm going to ask you a few questions to discuss if we might be a good fit. Um, if we are and, are and it all makes great sense on both ends, I'll invite you to come partner with us. If we figure out it's not a good fit, I'll let you know because the last thing that I want is an unhappy client. Right. And then of course you can do the same for me. If you feel that um, I'm at, you know, if you feel that, this isn't a good fit for you. It's okay to tap out and let me know. And what that does is it gets them locked in. Okay. I know this guy is going to ask me a ton of questions. The call is much, much more patient. They have much more patience for that. When you let them know in advance that you are going to be asking a ton of questions. And the re and the other reason you do that is because you want to be in a position of power, which is a consultative position. You're, you're the consultant. The reason you're asking questions is because a doctor does not give a prescription before diagnosis. That's malpractice, right? And I'll even say that to people. You know, hey, listen, a doctor uh, doesn't give a prescription before diagnosis because that's malpractice. Same thing here. I can't help you until you answer these questions for me, right? And, 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 and really, it changes the dynamic of the phone call. 
and you're in a position of power, you set the proper expectations. And, you know, then when you do tell them, hey, it looks like everything's good on my end, then they're like, oh, shit, I'm good enough. That's how it goes, man. What they say in sales, whoever tells the best story wins. Like that's, that's one of the things that I've learned right away. And in it, it, there's obviously there's a little bit more science behind it, but um, you know, working uh, in real estate, one of the rookie mistakes I made right away and I could, Oh man, I love talking about my mistakes. Um, I made an offer on a property without all of the decision makers physically being there. And it threw me through a loop. Right. But the lesson was the real investment. So now I know, right. So I'm coming out of personal training for seven years. Now I'm going right back into sales. So it's like, I'm learning as these, you know, these mistakes and these lessons go on and I'm listening to, I'm listening to everything that you're saying today. And I'm like, wow, like all of, you know, you have really good talking points, uh, you know, about just, you know, sales and improving and, you know, obviously getting to, you know, this level of success where, you're able to, you know, potentially sell a company and, you know, scale this much and do what you're doing with digital marketing. I think that's very special, especially during this pandemic right now. You know, we don't know if we're going back to normal. Maybe this is normal for right now. But as far as business and digital marketing and what you're doing right now in brand and business, how can mortgage brokers or anyone in business benefit from, you know, your services uh, during this pandemic? Well, you know, what I tell people all the time is this, you, when I speak to a mortgage broker, I'm like, who's the best broker in your office? Who is he? What's his name? What's her name? Okay. You will beat the best broker in your office. And the reason I say that is because you are going to have a competitive advantage over them. Uh, you're going to have a better lead flow system. You're essentially going to have five junior loan officers working under you, making calls on your behalf, you know, so you're going to be much more efficient in your job. Um, a lot of our brokers double their volume per month. We have some that have a 500% ROI. Um, and it's because we've implemented systems into their business in order to make them more efficient. And I do that in everything. I automate everything. The way I'm able to scale this company, I scaled it to 30K per month. I've hired four people. And um, I, I truly, truly believe with confidence and conviction that we will be at 100K per month by December, just based off of the way we've been scaling, the, the new opportunities that we have. Um, we got to 30K a month with just LinkedIn and email outreach. I'm sorry, LinkedIn and Instagram outreach. Um, and now we're incorporating email marketing, Facebook ads, Facebook organic, all these different things um, in order to get more sales. Um, obviously, I'm making uh, more of a name for myself. Uh, we're able to leverage that as well. Um, and, uh, you know, what a lot of people don't really, a lot of people don't know is your brand is your business and your business is your brand and you are part of that brand. So when, when I'm, for example, you know, like the reason I'm speaking on this podcast, right, is, is because, you know, we want to speak to people who are interested in what we are interested in. Um, and we want to be pushing content out there out the wazoo, right? We want a bunch of content to be out there um, so that when somebody Googles me, they know what to come up. It's the ultimate trump card. I tell people, when I tell people Google me on a call, normally they'll call me back after the call and they'll, 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 they'll sign up. Uh, so, you know, building your personal brand um, when, and, and you know, the same rules apply to building your personal brand as fundamental marketing. When you want somebody to buy from you, they have to know who you are and they have to trust you. Right? So how do you, how do you get people to do that? How do you get um, uh, social proof? For example, if you see an ad online and it has zero likes, zero shares, no engagement on it, you're probably less likely to click on that ad. 
if you see another ad with a with you know a thousand likes ton of comments people talking about the product then all of a sudden you have more trust and credibility right uh, you trust that person way more oh everybody's doing this i i need to do it too right because there, there's different types of people there's first there's first movers which i think are guys like like you and myself people who don't need that influence who, who go out and, and and move first and then there's the, the, the second movers, the people who follow them. And then the third people, the really skeptical people who wait to see if anybody got screwed over first, right? So uh, we're, we're very cognizant of that. So, you know, we establish social proof by uh, running engagement campaigns. Um, uh, retar and then uh, this is what, what a lot of people don't know. Like for, for, for you, if you, you're running a podcast, what I would be doing with your podcast is I would be running engagement campaigns. Um, the reason I'd be running engagement campaigns is because one, you're going to get as many eyes as possible on your, on your show. You're going to establish social proof, which means you're going to have likes, comments, shares, um, by running an engagement campaign. It's much different than running an ad. The objective of running an engagement campaign is just to get engagement on the post. But what that does also at the same time is it builds you a modern day mailing list. All of the people who inter interact and engage with your post are then retargetable. So anybody who's shown an interest, meaning they liked your post, they commented on it, you can then retarget those people with a course or you know whatever you're going to, or, or or more podcast episodes, right? So you know, running engagement campaigns is something that a lot of people don't do. They don't know to do it. They they do direct response marketing and they disrespect the sales process that way. They don't warm up their audience before they try and sell them something. So the way I, a good analogy, and I got this from uh, Jeremy Haynes, is it's very, very much like if you just run an ad to an audience, like a Facebook ad, it's the same thing as you going to the mall. You know those annoying people in those little, little desks that come up to you and like, hey, try these oils. Hey, you don't know me. I've never met you but listen to my pitch for a minute so that you could eventually buy this from me. It never works. You're always like, uh, get out of my face or you try and avoid them. Right? So, um, <clears throat> excuse me. So it's the same thing in digital marketing. It's the same thing. If you just try and throw an ad out there and try and sell them and they don't know who you are, they're not going to buy from you. So what you do is you run an engagement campaign, you get your activity up on your posts and then you simply run your ad to all those people who engaged with your post, because you know that they already know who you are, which means they're more likely to trust you, which means they're more likely to buy from you. I'm going to use that snippet right there and boom, that's it. Like, that's it. Because you know what, as you're talking about that, I'm like, oh, wow. I didn't even think about that. I didn't think of that. I'm thinking basic, you know, you know, click per minute, basic Google ads. I'm thinking, but I didn't think, I didn't think about it in that light. And this is what I'm learning too, right? So we're talking digital marketing, right? We're talking sales. Obviously, you know, the podcast is still new to me. So there's different, there's just so many different ideas and like that one's like, kind of like, yeah. Well, yeah. you got to think of it this way too. You know, yeah. I go to a guy, I go to a guy, his name's Dr. George Pratt. He's in uh, La Jolla, uh, La Jolla, whatever you call it, California. And um, if you YouTube him, what you'll find is uh, videos of uh, Rob Durdick. Uh, Rob Dur you know Rob Durdick from Fantasy Factory, Ridiculousness? You know the show Ridiculousness? Yeah. So, so Rob, Rob, Rob Durdick is the host of that show. Rob Durdick gives all his success to Dr. George Pratt. Dr. George Pratt kind of hypnotized him success for success. 
what he told me, so your, your conscious fires about like, I think it's like 40 neurons per second. Your, your, your conscious mind, right? Your conscious mind is solely dedicated to the shit that you don't understand. Your subconscious mind fires 40 million neurons per second, right? So think about that. Your subconscious mind fires 40 million neurons per second. Your conscious mind fires 40. So your conscious mind is solely dedicated to the shit that you can't figure out. So when I'm marketing, when I'm marketing, I am not going after your conscious mind. I'm going after your subconscious mind because I'm trying to anchor data, right? So, so when, when I talk to somebody, right? And uh, uh, for example, for you, I'm sending you all this stuff. I'm on a podcast. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to establish authority, right? When you look at somebody, you don't think, all right, is this guy an alpha or a beta? You instantly know right away, right? You just, that's something that you just know, right? It's not something that you think about, right? So, so when, when we talk, when, when we're running ads, we, we try and go after the subconscious mind. How do we do that? By establishing authority, by getting social proof, getting these people to trust us by seeing a bunch of other people engaging with our stuff. We're going after the subconscious mind because we are trying to anchor data. That is fucking powerful. That is, that is, it's just so true because I read, um, uh, what was it? The power, uh, no, by Dr. Joseph Murphy, the power of your subconscious mind. I read that a couple months ago and, you know, he talks about the conscious mind and the subconscious mind. And like, you're just like talking, you're talking about, yeah, the conscious mind focus on this and the subconscious is moving this fast. And it's, it's, it's so as crazy as, I mean, it might sound crazy to some, but it's so true. And this comes down to speaking sales, your conscious mind, your subconscious mind, your mind is consistently playing tricks on you that you really have to pay attention to mentally what's going on. And, you know, obviously internally, it's going to result into externally in what you're doing into the world. So uh, I, I, mindset is huge. Mm -hmm. Mindset, mindset is huge. And, you know, you brought up another point, you know, um, right away, you know, you mentioned alpha or beta. I, I spot right away. Right. right so away, you right. right off the bat, I already knew, I already knew what I was getting. Right. <laughs> I'm like, Oh yeah, this guy's alpha for sure. It's something, it's something that you don't think about. Right. Yeah, it's, it's, it's that, that you don't know. think about it at all. You don't think about it at all, but it's so true. And you see, and I'm sure you've seen this, you, you've experienced this, right. Where you were interactive with someone else on the, on the other end, that's alpha as well from the sales perspective. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, when, when you're, that's why, right. You're trying to precondition people through the subconscious mind, right? Not, not necessarily the subconscious mind. You want to go after people or not necessarily go after people, but you want to go after people a certain way where you are establishing psychologically, you want to establish biases, right? We're trying to establish biases. So how do we establish biases? Well, uh, for example, how, how do I, how do I make myself look like an authority, right? Because people trust authorities. They go to authorities. It's an easy way to get business. How do I make myself look like an authority? Well, if my next public speaking gig and there's 25 people sitting there looking right at me, I'm going to record that. I'm going to record that and leverage that content and push that content out there because that makes me perceived as an authority. You are trying to establish biases um, and precondition your buyer before you even try and sell to them let's jump back for a little bit. I want to kind of talk about digital marketing. 
I think that obviously <laughs> the digital marketing right now, the ban is huge because obviously everything's moving through technology. Um, we're still quarantined in. You know, a lot of people are, you know, some are still trying to figure out how to work remotely, right? Um, sure. uh, with these small businesses, right? They're small businesses, uh, solo entrepreneurs. How can they, uh, you know, establish some type of uh, dominance and alpha on uh, social media, right? You know, we mentioned LinkedIn, right? Not many people are familiar with LinkedIn and uh, the business that can be created. Can you, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, listen, this is super easy. I know a lot of aspiring entrepreneurs. There's two, there's two types of people. There's people who, um, who want to be out there. There's entrepreneurs and then there's entrepreneurs, right? The entrepreneurs are the people who are willing to invest in themselves. A lot of people, you know, uh, they think every course that you buy is a scam, right? They, every course, I, I look at courses that are being advertised and I see in the comments, scam, scam, scam. Oh, this is a scam. Don't buy this, buy this. I literally look at those people and I'm like, you're fucking pathetic. You are, you're pathetic. You're, you have a poverty mindset and you're literally never going to make any money. Good, you know, good luck. Um, so here's what a lot of people don't understand. When you, 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 can, you can do something called authority hijacking and it's perfectly reasonable for you to do this. If you buy a course from somebody, you are then able to say that you learn directly from that person and leverage that, right? So if I take Grant Cardone's 10X course, Grant Cardone, anybody ask me, yeah, I learned this from Grant Cardone. He's a mentor of mine. And you're perfectly within your reason to say that because you are, you paid good money to say that. And, and, and a lot of people don't understand that. So they'll take a course and be like, well, you know, how am I starting? Nobody knows who I am. How am I, how, how do I get people to trust me? It's like, dude, you took the course. You don't, don't say, Hey, I took a course. Say, Hey, I learned from Grant Cardone. Cause you did. Oh, no, uh, it's straight up. You know, you, you, you learn this information. I always say, what good is information if you don't apply it. Right. So, you know, if you're taking a course and you, you learn from Grant Cardone, apply that information, right. You learn from Alex, right. Apply that information. So with all the information that you like, you, you talked about so many different talking points today. Um, for me personally, I'm more fired up closing this interview now. Like, because like, you know, I, I breed sales, right? So just to really just have this conversation about objections, cold calls, what got you to the point. I like to, like, I watch a lot of Gary V content. So Gary V says this a lot. So he wants to know, what got someone to the point before they became who they who they were like drake he talks about drake a lot he wants to know what made drake drake so i wanted to know what got you to this point and you mentioned you know you had it good all the way to the point of 16 and you felt this this like this this passion right you felt this fire and you, you still got it till this day and you're like you're just going mm -hmm. yeah you know a lot of people uh have different reasons um i think mine you know, unfortunately came from a place of pain. Um, it misguided though, you know, like, like now that I look at it and I'm looking back at it, I think, and, and, you know, when I refocus and look at, you know, my 32 years on this earth, I spent a lot of my teens, early twenties being mad at the world. Um, and I think where it changed for me is when I stopped blaming other people for my shit and started blaming myself. Um, that, that's when I really started to change from that. That's a poverty mentality. It's not my fault. It's not my fault. I said, holy shit, I've just been 
upset for fucking 10 years without trying to solve anything. How is this anybody else's fault but mine? So, you know, that, that's where I think it came from. But I also am very thankful and grateful for, for that experience in my life because if I didn't have it, I wouldn't be where I am today. If my dad was rich, I, who knows, man? I partied a lot in, in, uh, in college. In fact, uh, just recently, listen, I threw a party 10 years ago, okay, at Arizona State University. It was on World's Dumbest Brawlers. It was all over the news. It was on True TV, World's Most Shocking Videos. And they just reposted it on Barstool 10 years later. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I look back at that and I'm like, holy shit, man. I was, I was still an entrepreneur then, but I was just focused on throwing amazing parties, you know? So entrepreneurship in a, in a nutshell is you know, it's, it's consistent evolution, right? We're constantly evolving. We see 100%. business and opportunities evolve. Um, again, with my background, your background, you know, our upbringing is a little different. How we started was different, but the passion, the, the, the drive, the spark for just sales and helping people and living in alignment, right? I could tell you're extremely passionate about what you do, right? I've, I've encountered people. I've had conversations with people who do things because of the check that's attached to it, right? Or the title that's attached to it. I could tell, we could do this for like hours, right? Because you're that passionate about what you do. You're real about what you do. And, and I could see, I, I, like, I read people very well, right? So, you know, when you're talking about this, like, I, I feel you, man. Like, I, it's, it's real, it, it's raw. And I think that's the most powerful thing too. The, the mes- one of the biggest takeaways that I'm taking away from, you know, obviously interviewing you today is when you're passionate about what you do, it shows in your work. And sure. I think that speaks volume to, you know, w- what you've done uh, these past few years. And I'm excited to, uh, you know, have this opportunity to interview you because now I could always go back and look at this interview. I'm like, oh, wow. Like he really said that. Okay. You know, go back and like write these notes and obviously have that connection. Yeah, that too. But it, it, it's good to have, you know, like you said, you know, th- this connection and, you know, connecting the dots, right? Absolutely. But for, for everyone else, you know, listening into this episode of the St. Clair Speak Show podcast, um, you know, another way to, you know, create opportunity is to act on opportunity, right? Alex talked about this in, you know, this interview, you know, you want to see opportunity and opportunity, don't be, sh- don't be shy. Don't talk yourself out of opportunity. You guys won't know, Alex, you don't know how many times anxiety and fear has, has talked me out of my best ideas. Well, what I thought was at times. Yeah. And, and, and that's common, right? Because you know, what a lot of people do is, is listen, what they need to, I think once they understand this, they'll be able to take advantage of more opportunities. Your opportunities that come up in your life will, will almost never align with your ability for, to fulfill those opportunities. It's never, ever the right timing, ever. That is why I understand that. That's why I say yes to everything and then figure it out later. That's my mindset right now because no one, no one expect 2020 to be like this, right? No. We came into this year yeah, I'm, I'm on a social media detox right now for a reason, but just this year has just been crazy. Everything's all over the place and 
emotionally as human beings, which happens, we get emotionally distracted and we take our mind off business, right? Mm -hmm. But if you're a solo entrepreneur, if you're a business owner, you know, you got to own your business, right? There's a time and place, right? We understand using your emotional intelligence, but do not put fear and anxiety in your work. It's going to show. You could lose business partners for this, right? So, you know, definitely whatever you're doing, make sure that you're passionate about it and really ask yourself, if you're living in your alignment. Now, Alex, I want to give you the opportunity to, you know, give us some, you know, some closing thoughts. Yeah. Um, closing thoughts. Uh, I would say, you know, along your journey, I think that the one, and this is going to sound so cliche, but it's so true, man. Um, the one consistency with successful entrepreneurs, the same thing that they have is consistent persistence. Okay. I've had so many failures in my journey failed companies, failed ideas, bad partners, um, just everything you could, you could possibly imagine. But I was consistent in my persistence. I was, you know, a lot of people have shiny object syndrome where, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll have one business idea. They'll start it, not finish it, go to the next, go to the next, go to the next, right? Focus on one thing until you hit 50 K per month, focus on one thing. And then venture out into all those other ideas you have. You need money to do that, right? And then you also need to understand that failure is just milestones. That's all that is. It's milestones along the way. So when you fail, you're just one step closer. It's a milestone and it's also a learning opportunity, right? You need rhino skin. It's going to help you get tougher, but you're also going to learn those opportunities and and be able to apply them to your next project or or, or whatever you have. The other uh, piece of advice I could give you, get yourself... Uh, a supportive girlfriend who believes in you, you know, behind every uh, uh, successful man is a smart woman. And I'm, I'm, I'm dead serious. I'm a hundred percent serious. Um, I would not be able to be where I am without my girlfriend who I've had for, for, you know, years, but um, it's important to have that support system, people who you can talk to because it's a, it's a emotional journey, right? It's an emotional journey and there's highs and there's lows and, you know, you, you get sad, right? I've, that whole thing with Tacotopia didn't work out. I, you know, I cried. So, you know, having a good support system in place, even if it's, you know, your mom, you need somebody that you can talk to about these things. Somebody who could keep you in check, but also recognize the fact that they're not doing what you're doing. So they're not always going to be right. So you, you can kind of pick and choose the advice that you listen to. You'll know the right advice, advice to listen to. And uh, you, you, you'll, you'll know the, the wrong one to, to, to uh, take advice from. So that's what, I, that's what I'd say. Very, very, very powerful uh, closing thoughts, Alex. Thank you. Um, definitely to recap on that, guys. Pretty much never take uh, criticism from someone you wouldn't run to for advice. As well as, you know, entrepreneurship does get lonely. Everyone needs an emotional support system. That's extremely important. My girl is going to love this one because that is, <laughs> that is, it's, it's so true. It's so true. I wouldn't be where I'm at right now without her. You know, we, we met 100%. on the streets of Times Square when I was selling comedy tickets. Really? Know, yeah. Like six, seven years ago. And now we got a daughter, got the whole family, got the, oh got my the God, cat. That's awesome. Right. So it's like, you know, you know, and that stuff's important, man. Yeah. Listen, that stuff is important. In fact, you know, when I got fired, uh, from my uh, job, I was a sales director at a startup. I came home and I was just, it was humiliating. It was embarrassing. I almost didn't want to tell her. 
And, you know, I, I remember I just locked myself in the bathroom for hours and I was just fucking bawling my eyes out, like crying. And then I finally told her and she was the one who said, Alex, do you want to help your family? And I said, yes. She goes, do you think that you could help your family with a nine to five job? I said, probably not. She goes, do you think that you will be happy in a nine to five job? I said, no. She goes, the reason that you have anxiety and the reason that you are stressed is because you are not doing anything about that anxiety. You are not working towards your goals to get rid of that anxiety. You want to take care of your family and you want to, and you know, you're going to be unhappy working for somebody else. You need to start your own business like you've always wanted to. And I fucking did. Hell yeah, Alex. Hell yeah. (laughs) But it's like, look, you know, in life, I believe you have two options, suffer or succeed. You made your choice, right? Yep. And there's going to be moments in life where we're, 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 we're going to constantly get the same choice over and over, suffer or succeed, right? You're on a new level now, suffer or succeed. Oh, I'm going to suffer. What? Why would you do that? Right? But some people are so comfortable self-sabotaging themselves because they are intimidated by their own greatness, right? Yep. So don't emotionally run from anything, uh, you know, definitely run towards it head on. Uh, this was an incredible episode of the St. Clair Speak Show podcast. Again, guys, uh, like, share, and subscribe to the St. Clair Speak Show podcast. Uh, until next time.